Hey everybody, welcome to episode 8 of the Mountain Bike Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Lee, with my co-host, Stephen Lewis. What's up, man? Good evening, sir. How you doing? Hanging in there. How's your knee? No bueno. No bueno. As yeah. always. But you're building up toward your surgery when? Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, we're going to bring you things. How long are you staying in the hospital? Uh, just like the day. It's outpatient, so I'll oh. be six and a half, seven hours. Can you eat anything after that, or do you have to wait? I don't know. I don't usually eat through my knee, so I think I'm... <laughs> Fine. You know how they do that with yeah. like, you know, anesthesia or whatever. You know, I think I'll be good to eat that evening. We'll bring you a baked bear, one of oh. those ice cream sandwich cookies. Are you really trying to make me fat? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah, we'll do Fair. that. Well, let's get to talking about mountain bikes, though. But wait. Yeah. Sprinkles. Sprinkles? Okay. <laughs> Anything <Needs> else? Sprinkles. <laughs> he's, he's very interesting with this type of thing. Um, so, But let's talk about mountain biking stuff. Uh, first of all, I've had a bunch of new listeners. Lots. A lot of new listeners uh, come on board, especially this week. Um, it's been the biggest week by far. So thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Thank you for sharing it. It's still just getting started. So you guys are in from the ground floor and you have a chance to make this thing your own. So stop by mtbpodcast.com, send in your questions, send in your suggestions, anything else you want, you can use uh, there. You can send that in anywhere on the website there. You can subscribe to the podcast there on iTunes, on Stitcher or whatever else you're using and please review it and share it. But if you're going to leave a review, make it five stars. I'm holding up five fingers and you can't see that right now, but they represent five stars. That's what we want. And if it isn't five stars, let us know. Maybe we can fix something and well, then you can make it five stars. We'll do it better. Yeah, exactly. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about before we get into your questions that you've sent in, uh, first thing, Stephen, this past weekend, I went to uh, the beautiful city of Oakland, California. Uh-huh. Uh, majestic place as always as always yeah and it was raining uh pretty much the whole time so it was more beautiful than normal more beautiful yeah more beautifuler uh, yes we went to the oakland supercross at the raiders coliseum i know which is i saw your instagram stories which is quite uh quite the edifice i would say um there was enough mold on the concrete steps to make walking in the rain a, a seriously dangerous proposition. like. But at least you had penicillin already if you did fall. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, but we went to go watch the Supercross. It was awesome. And John Tomac, the mountain bike legend, his son Eli Tomac is coming into his own right now. Yep. And he got a bad start. And that guy ripped through the pack and it was incredible to watch i know from eighth or ninth from like 18th in the first turn well just the first like turn yeah worked his way it was amazing man the guy like such a good rider if uh, you haven't watched supercross and you think you might be into something like that or even if you don't give it a shot you can look it up on youtube and check it out um oakland supercross is awesome so yeah. i had a good time man and then i rode road bikes uh but on dirt in marin uh we rode, rode up mount tam we did, yeah, with a good crew of guys. Uh, Nate from Above Category, Nate King. He's an ex-pro roadie that also shreds on a mountain bike, too. Yep. Good dude. And uh, Dylan Nord from Due North, uh, really good dude as well. And Phil Mooney from the H24 KTM cycling team. I just have cool. one question about that road ride. Yeah. Did you get in trouble for being off trail? Uh, no, because we rode on, <laughs> we rode on old railroad grade which is actually one of the few legal spots to ride a mountain bike. And we're riding up on our road bikes because yeah. it's, it's like, it's like a bumpy gravel road with some rock in it and a little bit of rain ruts and stuff. But yeah. we're riding up and 
we see mountain bikers coming down and I asked Nate, I said, is there not, a, is there, are there no other trails that they can go down? Like, why would in the world would you go down this fire road? No, like, this is a, suck. this is a downhill trail in Marin. <laughs> exactly what I learned right after that. And yeah. then I kept seeing these single tracks. I'm like, is that trail open? Nope. nope. Is that trail open? Nope. Is that? Nope. It's Marin. The Dude. answer is nope. That's pretty sad. A lot of our listeners are in Marin. Yep. We feel for them. Yeah. It's pretty sad, man. So move out of that state. Come to Nevada. Yes. We have lots of open trails. Pick up a shovel because pretty, and, and be an advocate because we can pretty much get any trail we want approved yeah. for now. So exactly. It's pretty cool. Anyways, uh, let's get into your questions. Oh, Steven, I forgot to mention, if you guys are hearing this and wondering, we've got drops that are being used to introduce these sections. So They're so funny and dumb <laughs> and nerdy. And <laughs> Let us know what you think. Question. That's a ridiculous question. False. Well, that's debatable. Uh, first one, somebody asked about the foil that we use for portables that I was talking about, how like I make my own food. Your edibles? Uh, yes. Uh, Not <laughs> marijuana related yeah, yeah, edibles. Yeah, exactly. Be careful with that one. But the the instead of like just taking goo or something like that, I actually take real food on a ride just because yeah. I have a fussy stomach. It's frustrating. But it's um, he asked about what type of foil, because if you use normal foil, it tears and it's a total pain. But you need parchment paper foil. And Reynolds makes the stuff. You can get it on Amazon for pretty darn cheap, relatively speaking. Yeah. It's much more expensive than it's foil. It's just their pan lining stuff. That's it, man. Yeah. It's really good stuff. Parchment on one side, foil on the other. It's nice and thick and robust. So you can, and even in that book, they show you how to wrap them up so it's easy to unwrap them on the bike. Yeah. Scratch Labs is always good about that. Yep. Pretty solid stuff. And so if Scratch Labs wants to send us some of their cookie mix, I won't complain. Yeah, true. I mean, I will test it out <laughs> thoroughly. <laughs> Let's get into Jason's question. He says, not so much of a question as, it, as it's more of a, um, I so agree with you on what you said about using a trainer for intervals. I've been doing interval training twice a week, getting ready for the 2017 XC race season. First time. I'm actually training for races instead of just showing up and riding around with people living in Portland winter. We don't get much winter ride time. And after a few weeks of interval training, I saw a huge difference on the climbs. Once I got back onto the trails, I went from not cleaning one particularly nasty one on a two by with a 26 tooth granny to cleaning the same climb multiple times on a single ride with a one by and a 30 tooth ring. Keep up the great show. So it sounds like he has increased his muscular endurance. Yes. It sounds like he's also increased his ability to output power as well. And smooth output of power. If you're cleaning gnarly true. stuff, you've got to have good, even power in your yeah. pedal stroke. And if you're, because cleaning those things takes a lot of force, right? It's a lot of, remember, force is not the same thing as power. It takes yeah. a lot of force. You have to really push in a lot of torque. Yeah. And if that force is at the higher end of your range, then chances are your technique is going to suffer. Yeah. But if you've raised your roof a little bit there, and then you can put out that type of torque, but still be in control. And like you said, maintain traction, maintain, you know, have enough technique and, and yep. calm to maintain traction. That's better. Um, but he says he does have a question about race etiquette. I'm going to be doing my first serious actual training season of XC racing as a cat three. And he says, I am a beginner. And my question was short of flat out winning a race. When is the proper time to move up categories? And he mentions that he doesn't want a sandbag, um, but he also doesn't want to get stomped. Well, and then he says, we can't pass on this. He says, thanks guys. Really enjoy the show. Keep up the good work. Also XC is not dead yet. This is true. Not dead yet. Smiley face. Uh, what do you think, Steven, I on think, when he should move up? I, I think it depends on his, his competition. If he's consistently podiuming with 
the same consistent group of people, I'd say for this season, you can stay there. I agree. If you're destroying everybody and you're placing podium finishes in your next cat up, mm-hmm. get in that next cat. Yeah, I kind of say uh, if your wins are dominant, and yeah. what I mean by dominant is you have multiple minutes of a lead yeah. in XC racing, that's dominant. If you are doing that and you win three times, get out. Get move out. Up. Yeah, move up. But otherwise, if you're winning and it's close, don't move up. This season. This season, yeah. Spend some time there. It's okay. And and also, any everyone will always accuse people of sandbagging, um, no matter what, yeah. until you get into the pro ranks. And then they'll all the other pros will accuse a few pros of sandbagging because they'll say they cherry-pick races and everything else. So that's just how things are. Yeah. Um, but don't worry about it. Uh, if you, I think if you win a Cat 3 race, depending on how many people are in that race, you can technically move up to a cat two if you want right then yeah but i i would stay down there a bit don't and rush it it's get so used bad. to racing yeah because it's you may show up one week and you dominate but then you may show up another week and it's a totally different field of guys and you yeah. get you get smoked or gals and you get smoked yeah so that, that would be what i would say there so um i think that if you are staying down because you're excited about the concept of winning and you could be winning or getting a top five, top three in the next category up. Probably up. time to move up. Yep. yep. Uh, Robbie, he says, curious about XC race warmups. Sorry, a lot of XC questions uh, for all you enduro and downhill bros. We'll isolate the principles that help you. He says, I know Jonathan uses his kicker at races, and that's a Wahoo kicker. It's a wheel off trainer, and it's called a, so you just attach, you take your wheel off, put it on there, it has its own cassette, yep. and it's called a, it's a smart trainer, meaning that if you use an app like Trainer Road, it'll control the resistance. So you just pedal, and then it changes the resistance so that you hit your power targets. So that's what a kicker is, if anybody doesn't know. Um, and you can use it with through axles. That's why I use that one. And wonder what his warm-ups, warm-ups consisted of for, say, um, somewhere in between an hour and a half to two-hour race. Currently, well, last season, I just did what everyone else seems to do in my local races, which is cruise around the streets of the venue and maybe try to find a hill. I always try to get my heart rate as high as I can at least once before the start so that the first sprint or climb wasn't so shocking. Also, no one currently uses trainers or rollers for warm-ups at our races, so at the risk of looking like the guy taking things too serious, I need to find something that works. Thanks, and keep up the excellent work. Five stars for sure. Um, <coughs> Robbie, I've never, I've always taken that fear of looking like the guy that takes things too seriously, and I've just thrown it out the window. Yeah. I just don't care. Just wear one of your dumb little roadie caps yes, while you're exactly. doing it, and nobody will even think twice. We'll get into that a little later. Oh, we will. Yeah, we will. Yes. Um, but the the one thing that I, I would say, so so first of all, you were doing the right thing and looking to get your heart rate up high. Your goal, though, is not to get your heart rate up high. You're, what you're trying to do is you're trying to increase blood flow. You're trying to increase something called muscle fiber recruitment. And then you're trying to wake up a lot of the neurological synapses and everything else that, that is interacting and going on when you are having muscle contractions and riding your bike. So basically like you're waking up the engine. Exactly. If you think of your muscle as a rope, a rope is made up of a lot of strands of smaller fiber or rope, right? Yeah. Or thread, you could say. Yeah. Um, when you look at that rope, your muscle, your body's super intelligent. Uh, your muscle's like a rope. And in a normal state, when you're just carrying on throughout the day, it'll only use a few of those fibers, yep. comparatively speaking. Uh, once you start working out, it will exhaust those fibers very quickly, and it will go, oh, man, I need to use the rest of the fibers now. We need to wake up, call all the troops in, and actually start working here. Yeah. 
if you just go out and go first thing, bam, as hard as you can, what you're going to do is rely on just a small amount of the muscle fibers in your muscles. They're going to get fatigued. And then what happens is you get into a situation where you can't bounce back from that fatigue quite yet because you've exhausted those primary fibers so much. And you haven't told your body, hey, we need to ignite everything else. Exactly. So it's a very good idea to build your way up slowly to that. Um, and to, uh, it's not just, you know, okay, I need to warm up. So I need to go as hard as I can at least once and it's clear and I'm good. Nope. That's not what you want to do. So uh, here's what I do for my warm ups. I usually have five minutes of easy pedaling. Uh, then after five minutes of easy pedaling, I'll step my way up to threshold. And once I get to threshold, I'll try to hold that there for not long for a mountain bike race, maybe a minute, two minutes. After that, I drop back down and it's very easy pedaling for about a minute or two. And then what I'll do is I'll go, I'll do an effort that's not all out, but it's darn close and it'll be like 30 seconds long. And then I'll drop down and I'll give myself plenty of time to rest. So two minutes after that, and then I'll do another 30 second hit. That's really hard. I'll do that three times, something like that. And then I'll try to give myself at the very least five minutes, but usually five to 15 minutes in between when my warm up ends and the race starts. And that's why the trainer is so awesome for this type of a thing. And this goes for, Really, enduro, you can't really do this unless you had a situation where there's no, like, liaison or anything else beforehand. You just, like, start on the first stage. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, like, for downhill racing, yeah, this is key. If you guys can get in a structured warm-up beforehand, it's going to pay off huge. And that's you look at all the UCI competitions. You've that's got what they're doing. everybody on their trainers. Yep. Yeah, so it, it's really helpful. So that's one that's one way to do it. If you can't have a trainer there, then try to find a hill because generally that allows you to put out more power. Um, so that's why you would want to do that. But yeah, do it and don't be don't feel afraid about looking like the guy that's taking things too serious. And do you want to do all of this before or after your pre race beer? Uh, actually, enduring. Is oh, best. Okay, good. Foam is really good Carbs. for you. Yeah, and foam. Foam's great <laughs> okay. when you start out racing. Yeah, All it's right. great. Um, and then he also says, and some grumblings from a short guy. Why, oh, why do so many companies force us short people onto 27.5 wheels? I've been shopping for a full suspension 29er XC rig, but my options are very limited. Currently, I have a small 15.15.5 inch, so that's a small size, a Trek Superfly hardtail because the Pro Caliber went to a 27.5 inch wheel in size small. And it works great. I've tried a couple 650B bikes and hated them. Would love to own a Yeti, and he says drink right there, um, but no options that I see. Please discuss. Uh, so I, I feel this guy's pain because I love the way a 29er feels coming from a motocross <clears throat> background. I tend, tend to prefer more inertia, that feeling, uh, okay. more stability in there because yeah. I'm used to a very heavy bike with a lot of inertia and a lot of gyroscopic force going on okay. that stabilizes the bike. Yeah. It allows me to use more body English on the bike and not really pay a price, yeah. you know, or I should say it gives me a little bit more of a wiggle room. Okay. I like the feel of a 29er, so I get this guy's problem. But I also get the engineering side, right? Because you can't just... It really does have ramifications, huge wheels. Yeah, 29-inch wheels on small frame bikes, depending on how small, the how short the effective top tube is, how steep the head tube angle is, you're talking uh, a forward reach that's too small and you get toe overlap on the front wheel when you turn. Which is not fun. It's not fun at all. 
especially the, the thing is now with what head tube angles are doing where even on XC bikes, they're getting sub 70 degrees or, you know, 70, 71 degrees or yeah. less, you know, they're starting to rectify that, especially with, you know, offset of your axle on the fork. Yeah. They're getting to the point where they might be able to overcome that. And I think the biggest part of, uh, of all of that is then combining in crank length. You know, a lot of people are going to a shorter crank arm. Yep. I ride one seventies and I'm five eleven. Me too. So it, there's a lot of things you can do mm-hmm. to rectify that, but you're stuck until the frame manufacturers and they're going to, they're going to design the bikes yeah. to, you know, I guess the lowest common denominator of buyers who are going to buy that. Yeah. Not everybody understands the ramifications of a 29 inch wheel on a small frame bike. So they're perfectly fine on a 27.5. Yeah. But for someone like you, Robbie, Robbie, I was swallowing, sorry. <laughs> but for uh, in Robbie's case, it, I think that you're still going to have some bikes that will always be made in 29, but it's just it, yeah. they're getting harder to find. Yeah, and that happens and, and I completely understand. The the I I personally, like I said, I love the feel of a 29 and uh I know that Sarah is getting the for my wife, she's getting a 29 as well. She likes that feel. She's a newer rider, she wants more stability, everything else like that. So the 29er kind of checks that box. But she's, um, we're going to be building up a 4.5 C, so or 4.5 uh, Yeti 4.5 for her. Yeah. That comes in a small. Yeah. Um, and they've been able to work with the geometry and everything else on that bike to make it so that it's not yeah. wonky, which Absolutely. is nice. But it's, it, and honestly, you, if it is a 29-inch bike that's been redesigned in the past year or so, or moving forward, that's in a size small, chances are the geometry is, is not dialed. crazy. Yeah. yeah. So... I'd actually keep your keep your eye out in the next year or two, Robbie. I bet there's going to be some small bikes that come up with a 29 and they're going to be better. And the other thing, Robbie, you can also consider moving up to a medium depending on how tall you are. I don't mm-hmm. actually know your question didn't say how tall you are, but right. you know, depending on if you're the, on the cusp of a medium and large, you could go to a medium zero offset seat post 170 cranks and put a shorter stem on it and that's you know one other way of also making it work then you really don't have to worry about that because your effective reach will still be a little bit better yeah exactly and and the one that a lot of people do like the more stable feeling that they get from uh, even a larger frame too so if that's your style at and least, if you know you aren't too you aren't so far short that you're out of the range then yeah. that could work at least demo a bike and see yeah why not right yeah that could be yeah that could be fun um all right the next question comes from cat um and cat is from perth which is pretty sweet so um thanks for reaching out austria eh? um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> just kidding throw another shrimp on the barbie um and i hope that that's um let's i just want to double check to make sure that we're not and it's actually perth scotland oh that's right she said scotland scotland there we are so I uh, just threw us for a loop there. Anyways, Kat, uh, you say, hey, guys, loving the podcast. I love your opinion. I've, forgive me, been a roadie for a number of years and got into a mountain bike three years ago. Currently riding a live, and we forgive her. Yeah, I would say we forgive you. Yeah. Not everybody's perfect, Kat. <laughs> uh, she says, I'm currently riding a live giant obsessed advanced, advanced two, which can we just pause? And I wish we had some type of a slow clap for giants bike names. The obsessed, man. The obsessed. Uh, the, the, they have a lot of them. The, no, I think specialized has the fate. Maybe it's giant. I don't know. I don't know. They, they should have like a quiz. I see these on a website called bike radar every once in a while where they had like, they had one the other day and it was, um, 
flavors of gum or triathlon bikes, something like that. (laughs) (laughs) It was so hard. I failed miserably. Definitely. Yeah. Anyways, um, she says, compared to my first mountain bike, a wee solid rock hopper, it's been a dream to ride, but as I, but as I'm getting technically better and pushing myself more, I am now looking for a full suspension bike. But what to go? What what should I go for? I love trail riding and plenty um, and plenty Scottish hills around where we are with lots of natural single track. I want something relatively light and fast on the uphills, but capable in rocky, rooty downs, medium drop offs and jumps, and just going to smooth out the trail more than uh, than the hardtail. I love doing endurance up to 24-hour events, like the Stroth Puffer. I don't know what that event is, but if it's 24 hours, that is gnarly. And then she says 10 under the bend, etc., and entering a couple local Enduros this year. Any thoughts gratefully received? So Kat, like, spans the gamut of mountain bike racing. She really does. 24-hour endurance all the way to Enduro, which is pretty sweet. Um, And road. She does that, too. So um, kudos, Kat. So what type of bike, um, the live giant obsessed advanced Two. I think that's their short travel or that that's their hardtail. That's their hardtail their, 120 mil. It's their women's XC bike. Their women's XC bike. Yeah. And something that's a little shorter travel, um, or that's a full suspension bike, but still short travel, I think would be ideal if she's doing 24 hour races. If she wants to stick with live, I mean, their, their PK advanced SX is yeah. a phenomenal bike. Yeah. That'd be a great bike for her. Um, she's going to be very similar drivetrain setup, very similar everything compared to what she's on now with that obsess. It, that bike retails at 4125 US. Not too bad. It's not too terrible. Yeah, not too terrible. <clears throat> I think that really like the kind of that 130 mil range, 120 mil is probably a sweet spot, right? No, I don't think she needs to go for. bigger, especially for 24 hour events. Yeah, yeah. Um, something like uh, from the specialized <clears throat> side of things, you could go to the Rhyme. Uh, that would be a bike that you could take to an Enduro. It's like the Camber, but the women's version. Yeah. You could take that to an Enduro and do just fine um, with that one. Or forgive me, I think the Rhyme is like the women's stumpy. Um, so yeah, you'd be fine there. Check out, they do have a women's camber specialized does. That's a really, uh, I've talked about the camber before. It's like the perfect geometry. Um, doesn't Yeti so, make a women's bike now too? Like do. an ASR Betty would uh, be probably pretty decent are, there. People are getting there are a lot of drinks in, but yes, the, the Betty ASR, it's the ASR with a paint job. Let's be clear. That's what it Same is. Same geometry, different parts. S- exactly right. Uh, so they have a women's specific saddle on there. Yeah. Um, for that they work with D- WTB to make narrower um, bars. Yep. They have shorter a shorter cranks, stem as shorter well. Stem. I think on there. Yeah. And so they have the really the things to make the bike and <clears throat> the the bike fit you. And the Yeti, the ASR has a very low standover. Yeah. So you shouldn't have to worry about that a whole lot. Um, if you wanted to go for something a little gnarlier, which I think the ASR would be plenty, but um, if you wanted to go for something a little gnarlier, then the four five could be a good choice because you can get it in a small frame. Because yeah. Kat, you mentioned that you're five five. So that you could get it in a smaller frame or uh, you could get the, the Betty SB five too. So, and the other option is, you know, Trek has their fuel EX 9.8 women's model. Yes. That is a phenomenal build on that bike. Yeah. That's the thing that you get with these, the, the main three brands, the Trek specialized giant, you get usually really good builds for a really good value. Yeah. Just because they can buy a volume. So, um, I guess it really comes, I would demo them because if we're looking at track giant and specialized, all three of them perform very differently because they have very different suspension systems. Yes. Even though the track might look like the giant, it's very different. Yeah. Maestro link and the Evo link are totally, different. totally different. Yeah. And they perform differently on the trail. Yes. Um, 
I've personally found the Maestro to be kind of like a Cadillac. It's it's plush, um, and it's it's for me it was frustrating climbing because I felt like it was bobbly and not as stable as I wanted. It didn't feel like it really kind of settled into a spot in the pedal stroke or stayed high. It always was kind of bouncing around. So you're talking so, like seventies white Cadillac with red interior with the Longhorns on the hood. Yeah, that one. Okay. Yep. That's, um, and then on the other side of things, you have the specialized <laughs> that actually kind of tends, it's very, it's very active, but it sits higher in the stroke. Yes. And it tends to, you get some, some pedal kickback with that too. Yeah. Um, and then the Trek, I've heard fantastic things about the, That's, the Evo link and pedaling specifically. Yeah. That it's just really composed. Yeah. So, and we've talked about the Switch Infinity on the Yeti side before, if you went with something like that. And, and in Scotland, she's probably going to be limited a little bit here and there by what brands she can get a hold of. True. But, um, yeah. especially riding beforehand. Yeah. You know, demoing be a bike beforehand. So, but at least we gave you a bunch of options to look at. And our opinions on how they ride. Yeah. So, which is good. Juan Carlos, he says, I got a 2012 Carbine 26 inch. That bike is made by Intense. Um, you have to say Intense, intense. like that every time. Uh, he says, it's got 150 millimeter rear travel, 160 millimeter front, which means it likes to party. Right, Steven? Sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. Uh, he <laughs> says, Carbon Everything, great bike. And Geo that works for me. He says 23 inch top tube, 67 degree head angle, 29 inch bars uh, with a 60 millimeter stem. He measures his bars in inches. He is a full on American. That is definitely American. It's very American. Juan Carlos, you are American. From now on, I don't even care where you're from. You're American. (laughs) He says, however, I am starting to lust after 650Bs or 650B new shiny bikes. I demoed a pimped up Santa Cruz 5010 in Santa Cruz. You in the at the mothership there, um, and great handling, great geo, but the wide low bars coupled with a longer top tube hurt my shoulders. I ride fairly upright. I also found the bike lacking in terms of small bump compliance. So a couple things on that really quick. I'm just thinking about 26 inch geometry. It used to be a lot more kind of high up. Yeah, you know, it used to sit higher, kind of on top of the wheels, on top of the bike, and even in with 27.5 bikes you're seeing the frame sitting lower in between the wheels and the whole thing just kind of getting a little more slacked yeah. out and you're a little more stretched out Yeah, but when the, you're sitting. Yeah, but the other thing is he's also looking at a, at a carbine with a 60 mil stem and 29 inch bars. I guarantee you that 5010 was set up with a 50 or 60 mil stem and 760 or 780 bars. Yep. So he probably should be looking at something in a 650B, same size, but with a 40 mil stem. Yeah. Um, Race Face just released their um, their Turbine R stems, yep. and they have a 40 mil version of that stem. And then you you can get a lot of different short stems. Yep. I think that's the key for Juan Carlos is to get that stem shortened up for to take advantage of the neutral steering that the bikes are designed for yep. with that slacker head tube angle and with the longer top And if tube. you want to get fancy, you can get Envy makes their MTB <clears throat> stem in a 40 millimeter as and well. They, yes, exactly. So depending on whether you have 31, you know, or a 31.8 or a 35 mil clamp. There's yeah. plenty of options out there. Just yeah. how much money do you want to spend? And, and also something he says, so here's my question. He says, do I plow more money into my existing bike, fork, wheel set, <clears throat> rear dropouts to turn into a 650B trail machine? Or would you go for a whole new steed? If a new one, which one? I'm your average middle-aged desk jockey C rider. Keep up the good work, JC. And he says, FYI, I ride a mix of East Bay Fire Road, Santa Cruz single tracks, and various trails around Truckee in the summer. Good to hear you're in Truckee, man. First thing I'm going to tell them about the carbine, uh, they don't produce the derailleur hanger for those anymore. 
and good luck finding them and nobody makes an aftermarket version. Mm. So one more time of ripping a derailleur off and that frame's junked anyway. Yeah, I I I always err on the side of if you're thinking should I put money into the old bike unless it's like a classic that's like really cool, yeah. you know? Or a Yeti. Yeah, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but unless somebody it's like a really old classic or something Always get rid of it yeah. and get something new. Yep. And I know that sounds like a spoiled brat's idea of it, but I, I am saying that being cost conscious because what you're doing is you're going to put a lot of money. Man, Steven, <gasps> Steven had a burrito before this, and I think uh, it's killing him. Yeah. So had some spicy salsa in there. Um, but I, um, I, I think that you end up dumping money into something that is only going to require you to dump more money into it, Yeah. and it's going to be harder to find parts and you'll just kind of get in this terrible loop where you just keep putting money into it. Yeah. So I say get on something new, not only because compatibility issues that you might have with having an older bike now, yeah. but also I would say get something new because these new bikes do ride really well, but give it a while, Juan Carlos, to get used to it. They do ride differently than yes. what you're used to. Uh, once you figure it out, it's awesome. Yeah. They ride so well, but... Um, you know, it will be a difference. So you demo the Santa Santa Cruz, great bike, the, the 5010, it's a good bike. I know that, I mean, they just updated the high tower and the tall boy, um, solid bikes there too. You could check those out if you're beholden to Santa Cruz. I think he really wants to stick to 27.5 yep. bikes though. So uh, 5010, um, SB5, uh, God, does Trek even make a 27.5 trail bike anymore? I don't know. Remedy's I, a 29er, Slash is a 29er. Yeah, they're they're pushing them all up. Yeah. I think they might. Camber. Camber would be great. Stumpy would be good. If you can get your hands on an Evil, do um, an Insurgent or yep. what's their 650 feet B trail bike? I oh, can't remember right now. Uh, evil Following? No, that's the no, 29. That's a 29. Trail bike. <clears throat> your names are tough, Evil. Your bikes are really cool, though. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that would be our, those would be our suggestions. Yeah. Wait for the new trigger to come out from Cannondale. Yes. I can't give you any details on that, but they're going to be sweet. He didn't say anything and ignore this. Um, yeah. Jerome, he says, and this will be the last question. He says, good evening, guys. I listen to all your podcasts as well as the Ask a Cycling Coach Train Road podcast. Thank you, Jerome. He says, five stars for sure. I'm looking at changing the, my 2013 Rocky Mountain Element 970 RSL in the next few months. And I do not uh, buy my bikes to resell them as Steven does. I ride, race, sometimes crash and modify the heck out of my bikes. I I have lusted over the Yeti SB 4.5C um, since it's come out. However, I live near Montreal, Canada, where our trails, as Jonathan already pointed out, are typical of the Northeast, Rocky, Rudy, and short, punchy technical climbs. Nothing like I would imagine Colorado would be. And he mentions Colorado because that's where the that's where Yeti's from. So. Yeah. He says, I race a good mix of XCO and XCM, which for those that don't know the difference there, cross-country Olympic, it's the modern form of cross-country, usually relatively shorter laps, and it races go from anywhere from 60 minutes, well, usually 90 minutes to two hours. Okay. Um, cross-country marathon, those are long days on the bike. Um, Four to six hours. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Rocky Mountain has come up with the new and revised element in 2017 with a slacker head tube and a 120 millimeter F34 fork and a dropper. This thing is a beast. I demoed it last fall and was in awe. Here's my question. I know Nate from Trainer Road races the SB 4.5 with a 130 fork, but would it make for a better bike um, with the new <laughs> element given the particular terrain I live and race on? I also can't demo a Yeti around here. I would love. I would have to drive south south of the border. 
Thanks and cheers, um, as I've given Stephen a few occasions to sip on his favorite ale with this question he has. Truth is, I'm drinking water tonight. <laughs> He's drinking water, yeah. Pre-surgery, yeah. can't have booze. Truth. Um, so, yeah, um, it does have a 120-millimeter fork, that bike, and I know that a lot of people have hesitations about a specifically 120 millimeters because XC bikes are now coming spec'd with 120 mil forks. And that makes XC guys nervous because they're used to a shorter travel fork. Yeah. Meanwhile, a lot of bikes that were 140 are now come or 130 are now coming with 120 millimeter forks because short travel is something that can actually be really fun. If the geometry is yeah. right, it can be really fun and capable. Yeah. So you probably could ride with a 130 millimeter fork, but for the terrain you're riding on, I honestly don't know if it would be more effective. We're talking East Coast, rocky, rooty, um, like little mantle stuff that you have to work your way up and over yeah. constantly. And it already has a slacker head tube angle for 2017, that bike. Yeah. So if you're putting a 130 on, it's only going to slack it out even more. I don't know. My other thing also is it's a, it's a a 34 mil stanchion fork in that terrain. You don't necessarily always need more travel. You need a stiffer fork. So Mm -hmm. I like the idea of a 120 on a 34 millimeter fork. It's it's well specced. I already looked up all the, the, the specifications on that bike and the geometries. I really like that attitude. I think for that type of riding, I think it's going to be a great bike. Yep. And especially if he can't demo bike around a Yeti around there Mm -hmm. and he doesn't have a local dealer. I don't necessarily want him to, you know, order online sight unseen yeah, yeah. and maybe not like the bike. If you like the bike that you've ridden there, go for it, man. Yeah. And that bike is really well specced. Like it is. across the board, they've done it's like it's like a rider spec it. Imagine that, yeah. right? Like it's not just like, okay, we need to spec something. We can't do XTR, so we'll do XT. Like it's not yeah. an XT across the board. It's like they, they really have looked at everything and tried to spec it well. And at the end of the day, you're Canadian. Rocky Mountain's Canadian. That's right. You know, grab. You can't go wrong, man. Head down to the bike shop, pick up a 24 pack of Kokanee. Give good it old to Kokanee. Good old Kokanee. <laughs> give it to the guys at the shop and, and pick up a Canadian bike. Yeah. That's pretty cool, man. Let's get it. Let's cover the news really quick. First of all, um, EWS, which is Enduro World Series, uh, is going to the first round is in Rotorua, New Zealand, and that's on March 25th. It's Crankworks. 26th. Yep, coincides with. Yep. That's going to be awesome. Can't wait for that. Yeah. It's just, it's so cool, man. Rotorua I, was interesting the first year because nobody really knew what to expect, and then all of a sudden, New Zealand is off the charts for bike tripping. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. So our friend Brian Kennedy, BKXC, he went to New Zealand for, I think it was like a week or two, and yeah. rode just everything up there. Yeah. So it was amazing. So... Um, but they're doing something cool. They're opening up something called Challenger because the way EWS works, that's like the premier Enduro series, right? But they have a lottery system where you can actually like you, you can buy into the lottery and if you get selected, then you get to choose which EWS race you get to enter, which is pretty cool. But they limit that because this is very much like a serious thing, this type of a race and it's the trails are pretty gnarly. And it requires travel and it requires a person to know what they're doing riding a bike. 
but they've done these this now they've created challenger events that on February 15th you'll be able to sign up for and it's first current first come first serve yeah. so if, and it's you sign up for a specific event instead of just signing up for the lottery so you can go on there sign up for whichever rounds you want whether it's going to be you know what they have them in Scotland they have them all over the place all over the world and these challenger events don't have you actually racing on the same day as them. It doesn't have you doing the actual race. Yeah. It's a day before you get to do the fun or best parts of the stages. Yeah. And you just get to go ride with your friends and chill and have a good time. Which is kind of like what we talked about the, you know, it's the BC cool. bike ride. Yeah. But with enduro. Enduro, which, which is, is pretty cool. Awesome. Yeah. So that's awesome. Andy's Pacifico is going on right now. Um, which is near and dear to my heart because I used to live in Santiago, Chile. I served a mission there. I noticed you just got an accent there. Did I? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love... Very Central American on us. Love a South American, sir. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but it's... I love that country. <laughs> love that city. Yeah. Love the people. I can't explain to anybody who hasn't been there, I can't explain how big the mountains are. Like... Uh, it's, it's like when you go to, it's like when you go down to, um, LA and you're right in downtown LA or something like that. And you look and right there, the, you know, Angeles mountains are just poking up. Right. Yeah. And they seem really big. Mm -hmm. The foothills before you get to the Andes are like 8,000 feet. Yeah. Those are the foothills. <laughs> 7,000 feet. Yeah. Like when you're flying in on an international flight and the and the pilot says, we're coming in for a landing, you look out the window and there are mountains next to you. Yeah. it's They're just so tall. Yeah. Uh, it's huge. And this race is so cool. It starts at the very top of the Andes by Cerro Plomo. It's like a gigantic mountain at a ski resort called La Parva. And then they do th these stages up there on this dirt that it doesn't exist anywhere else, maybe Mars. It's just like has zero adherence, like nothing sticks together. It just blows apart and they call it anti-grip. Good. Yeah. And so they have wide open pinned stages on that stuff. Their horses are everywhere. It's completely open. It's crazy. Some of the pictures on Vital were phenomenal. Super cool. Yeah. Dave Trumpor is like the most amazing photographer. Yeah. But, and then you, after that, they work their way out toward the coast and you get into the coastal range and the geography is just like California in the sense like you have the Sierras, the Central Valley coastal range. It's just like a whole, everything is closer and taller. Yep. And their coastal range is like a totally different environment. And then they finish like on the beach. Literally, I think they finish on the beach. Which is awesome. So cool. Yeah. So, and this one right now, Jerome Clements is in the lead. Yeah. Which this guy knows how to win a race, man. He does. He does. He's, he hasn't been winning. I don't know. I haven't checked today, but he hasn't, uh, lately, you know, I, we got ready for this a little earlier today, but he doesn't put himself in situations where he panics to win a stage he just rides it to the, you know, he just rides it just how he needs to. He's like Ryan Dungey in the Supercross world. Yeah. Rides where he needs to so that by the end of the race, he's ahead of you. Yeah. And you don't even notice it, yep. you know? He's just so good. Yeah. He can do that. Um, Tracy Mosley's in the lead for the women right now. It's Which is pretty mm, darn cool. Friend of the podcast, Marco Osborne, he's in ninth, I believe. Yeah, so. which... And I would not be surprised to see Marco snag a stage. He needs to move. Yeah, he's going to probably snag at least one stage, and he's going to move up in the standings, yeah, I think, even will. against all the locals. There's a lot of local favorites fast in the Fast dudes. There. Lots of fast locals. Yep, yeah. uh, which is pretty cool. Um, Casey Brown, she's doing really well, too. Yeah. Um, she's in second there, and she was actually leading Tracy Mosley, but then Tracy Mosley pulled back something like, 
I think it was like minutes. On well, the she's stage. like two and a half minutes ahead right now. Just crazy. She pulled a Tracy, so, is what she did. Yeah, she did. That's she's what she in, does. She's incredible, man. Yeah. Um, so that's a really cool race. Check it out. Uh, coverage is all over Pink Bike, all over Vital. Um, really cool race. And they, the guys that actually put that up, uh, it's from, I think it's the same guys from mountain bike, which is M O N T E N B A I K. It's like phonetic mountain bike and.com. And that's a Chilean mountain bike website. They're like the coolest dudes, super smart guys. And they helped with organizing the EWS round down there back last time. So yeah, it's practically an EWS race. Really cool. Yeah. Uh, next bit of news, Dave Weens. I think that's how you say his name. I hope so. Looks um, right. Yeah. He's the new executive director of IMBA. And if you don't know who Dave Weens is, he's been around a while in the XC scene. When was he inducted into the Hall of Fame? Uh, I don't know, but he is a Hall of Famer. <laughs> the guy is an absolute <clears throat> legend on the bike. He shreds Leadville. Like, every time, he's so good at especially those longer races. He's just, he's incredible. So... But he's now their executive director. What is this? I think that's a really good move. I mean, it seems like it would be a great move because people have complained <clears throat> of IMBA kind of being lay down. Yeah, laying. Yeah, exactly. Especially when we're talking about the conservation or sorry, the trail advocacy, trail advocacy, everything. and we're talking about you know bikes and wilderness and all the different issues there. Yeah, they've kind of just like taken a back seat and kind of and and I could see you know who knows. I don't know if Dave is <clears throat> kind of on the same page there, but. I feel like he understands us mountain bikers. I think so too. I mean, you know, well, go back to Leadville. What was it? Oh, eight. When he even destroyed Lance. Yeah. I mean, the guys, he's, 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 he's one of us. He, yeah. Yeah. Just like us. He's yeah, just like, just us. like us. Yeah. Uh, he's a legend. Pretty cool to see. I think it's going to really help. So, um, Kane Creek released AER headsets, which excited the weight weenie in me. Um, I shouldn't say that. That sounded really bad, but, the, these things, the AER headsets, they are, they're like, I mean, they're a weight weenie's dream. Yeah. And now they're a weight weenie's dream with longevity to them. Yes. The bearings aren't those, I forget what that stuff was called, the Norglide bearings. Yep. Um, Good bearings. <clears throat> the, um, the, I should say the, the spacer or I, the top I, cap, top cap of it, not the top cap, the thing that actually threads into the top of your stem, but the actual the bearing preload. The bearing, yeah, yeah, that part. It's it's pretty cool looking. It's actually cut out uh, to save weight there. It looks pretty factory. I like that. And guess what? What's up? Mine's on the way. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> I need that for my bike, I think. So I think I'm going to need to get that. Pretty cool. But I do have a slam that stem top cap cover on mine to get even lower of a stack height. So yeah. I guess this wouldn't work. Um, anyways, uh, the last bit of news, Rossignol, uh, the ski company or Rossignol, however you want to say it, they bought felt bikes, which is cool. And I should say the Rossignol group cause it's a larger group of companies. It is cool. And I think it's, I don't think it's, um, like a felt's going to disappear and now it's going to become Rossignol because Rossi is definitely set in their ways of skiing. Yeah. And it sounds like what they want to do is they want to start utilizing felt's production capabilities to produce Rossignol bikes. Okay. Because around the world, and I don't want to get political here, but ski resorts are seeing less time open around the world when you yeah. average it out. <laughs> so some sort of warming of the climate. Something perhaps. Overall. Yeah. And they're worried, <clears throat> the ski industry and the but ski resorts are just loving bike parks and bringing people in mm -hmm. with that. 
and Rosing Null and all the ski companies are sitting there and they're with their, you know, with their hands in the air. They don't know what to do because well, they can't use those ski resorts during the summer. This is a way they can do it. Well, some of the the skis that are out now, I mean, you could just put them behind a boat and tow true. them. Yeah, that's true. They are genuine water skis. They the are. They're designed. Yeah. Um, so I think it's cool. I think that <clears> Felt <throat> is an underrated brand. Uh, on the road side, they have great stuff. The, the mountain bike side, they've had some difficulties with getting geometry right and some other things, but... Um, or so, so I've been told. I've actually only ridden one of their bikes, the Edict, and I wasn't blown away with it, but... Um, but they, they are very good with carbon construction. Yeah. They have a TT bike that looks awesome. Okay. So that counts for something. Yeah. Uh, because TT bikes are just made to look awesome. I would, don't want to ever ride one. I just want to look be as uncomfortable as possible and look good. Just look good. That's all that matters. But they make some really good stuff and they're good with carbon. So I could even see this maybe helping out their skis in general too. Yeah. You know, because they are so good with carbon. So yeah. Pretty interesting to see a ski company buy a bike company. Well, I mean, look at, you know, the Amer Sports Group. You've got Atomic, Solomon, Arcteryx, and they bought Mavic, which acquired Envy. Mm. So now there's those two bike brands in the Amer Sports Group now. Yeah, true. Uh, With that, let's get down to business. Let's talk about the main part of what we're going to cover this time. It's business time. The Mountain Biker's Guide to Road Cycling. Yeah, we're going to talk roadies. So we got a question that kind of made me think, I think I can, I think I can bridge some gaps. I can. We. Uh, we. We. Yeah. Yeah, we. Yeah. Because you understand roadies too, to but a certain I'm, extent. I'm going to be the devil's advocate yeah. in this. Yeah. I'm going to be the mountain biker. I think we can heal wounds. We can, you know, make hands come together here. We can start building some bridge yeah, stuff. Yeah, I think we can do that. Uh, we got a question for cyclists sharing the road with cars. What are your thoughts on etiquette and the suggestion out there that road cyclists have liability insurance? I think this was a pointed question. It's somebody that's probably a little frustrated with road bikers. So the one thing I can understand, especially with cyclists on the road is look how terrible and distracted most drivers are now. Yes. You're on a bike that has zero protection. Legally, you can't ride a bike on the sidewalk. Yep. And and let's cover that because I think a lot of us, even mountain bikers, don't understand, even road riders don't understand that that is a vehicle and you are operating a vehicle and the vehicle must use the road. Yes. It cannot use the sidewalk. No. A vehicle should not be using crosswalks to cross streets. No. That should not happen. You should not ever say, okay, let's go to the crosswalk on my bicycle. No, we don't do that. Don't do that. You're a car. You follow traffic laws. Exactly Not right. pedestrian laws. That's why you need to use hand signals or blinkers if you had them on your bicycle. That'd be weird. But you have to use hand signals. You have to obey speed limits. You have to... Obey stop signs. Exactly. And stop lights and yield signs. That is your job as a cyclist. Because it's just like operating any other vehicle. It is. And, uh, but, like you said, <laughs> significantly less protection. Yes. So that's, we're going to give you a whole, we're going to, this is going to be the guide to understanding road riding for the mountain biker. So hopefully we can bridge some gaps here. Touching on that, do you think cyclists should have liability insurance? Let's just cover that first. I I think most people have personal liability insurance anyway. Right. Uh, Auto insurance follows the driver, not the car. So technically when you're on your bike, you do you do have liability insurance inherently if you drive yeah if you're a cyclist only in a commuter obviously that's a different story yeah i don't think they should or need to i agree 
Yeah. I, that's not that's not on them. They're not going to cause damage to someone else's vehicle, right? In a liability situation, anyway. I think the car will win. The car is going to win. And if the car does get damaged, that's the driver's fault. If he's avoiding the cyclist and damage his car, it's not the cyclist's fault. It's your fault for putting yourself into that situation. You shouldn't have been unsafe passing the the rider. You shouldn't have been, you know, trying to get around him or whatever it is that caused that sort of accident. That's not the the rider's fault. That's yours. And feel free to write in if you have any objections to all this stuff. Let us know. Um, Hopefully we can clarify some of it. But some things that you should know about um, traffic and cyclists and sharing roads and all that stuff. Here in the state of Nevada, this varies not only by state, but in some cases by county. Yes. But uh, in the state of Nevada, you can ride to abreast as long as you deem it safe. Yes. And you can also take up a lane. If, if for any reason that you may need to. Yes. If there is, if there is no bicycle lane, mm -hmm. cyclists, which is the, the shoulder, the shoulder in most cases that's considered, I shouldn't say that a bicycle lane will be marked with the two white lines or two lines to the side of the road. Yes. That is not a spot for you to pull over in your car or drive. That is an actual lane and that is for bicycles. That is a travel lane for bicycles. Correct. Now, when that doesn't exist cyclists have the shoulder, but that doesn't mean that they have to stay on the side of the line. No. When they don't have a bike lane, they can use the lane. They can absolutely use lane. And that is the point of being too abreast is it makes it harder for a vehicle to cause an injury to the rider. Yes. By having to abreast and taking up more of the lane. It actually creates a safer situation for everybody on the road. Yep. I agree. And it's, it's sure it's frustrating. I know if you come across a cyclist and they're in the road, I get it. But at the same time, and some cyclists also are are ignorant or perhaps they're just kind of, they're just being brainless. They're jerks. Right. And, uh, and we're not trying to defend that sort of activity anyway. Yeah. We're saying from a legality standpoint and from an understanding you know, understanding people of their situation, this is how it is. Exactly. So those are some things you should know right there. Um, you can, cyclists can use the road. They are not supposed to ride on the other side of the line. If they have a bike lane, they're supposed to stay inside the bike lane, but if they don't have a bike lane, they can take the road up. Yeah. And for, and for anybody who says that they should be paying to use the road, they are, they're paying their vehicle taxes. They're paying, you know, gas taxes when they do drive. They just happen to not be doing it that day. Exactly. Yeah. I'm sure there are some people that only ride a bicycle and don't ride a car. I get that. But are you really worried about that person? But you know what? They have a job and they still pay income tax. Income tax goes into general fund and general fund builds roadways too. So no matter what you say, that argument's not agreed. Truthful at all. So hopefully that gives you some understanding on the road riding side of things. So next time you see a cyclist, don't uh, try to have some patience and also understand the fact that a lot of the time when I'm riding my road bike and I think, okay, I can ride on the right side of that white line and I'm going through thorns and going through glass and going through everything else. I'm going to get a flat tire or I can ride just to the left of that white line and avoid all that because your tires on the car push everything off onto the side of the road. Yes. And that's what we have to ride through. So it's a lot of the time. It's also us choosing to not get 17 flats on a ride. Yeah. And, and I get that we're putting ourselves in danger a lot of the time. And if you're dead, you don't really worry about flats. True. I get that. But at the same time, it's just, I think that if we can all just take take a step back and have some understanding, it really, yeah. really helps. And at the end of the day, you know, standard motor vehicle lanes are usually 11 feet wide, sometimes 12. Yeah. In some cases, they're 13 feet. 
unless you're in a construction zone where they're narrowing that down, most vehicles are less than seven feet wide. Correct. So in in a seven foot wide vehicle and an 11 foot lane, you have four feet of leeway. Which in California, we have three feet. Yeah. In Nevada and California, it's three feet. You give your cyclist if they're riding directly on or just to the left of the white line. Guess what? You can maintain your lane and pass that cyclist safely without putting anybody in danger. Yep. And you have no issues. Exactly. Most people don't understand the spatial awareness of how small their vehicle actually is. Correct. Compared to their, the lane. Yeah. And that's something people really should they look should at and understand. Out. Yeah. Agreed. And the one <clears throat> last thing that I'll bring up with this part before we get into the more roadie culture stuff and everything else is, uh, cyclists, I know that the law says that you can ride in the lane, but you can be right and dead. Or you can be, you can say, yeah, I'm right. I can ride in the middle of this road, but you'll be dead right, right? That's yeah. like the saying that, that you hear all the time. And sometimes it's worth it to just consider the fact that you're probably dealing with a lot of impatient people. Yes. So I do not, I do everything I can to not ride in the lane. Same here. You know, I'm, I'm always... I only do it when necessary. Exactly. So this, but at the same time, that doesn't mean that we are required to do that. No. So and we don't need to be jerks reason. about it either. Exactly. We can yep. we can make room, and if there is a spot where we can pull off and let some cars pass, do that. Yep. Be a good advocate. The only way that you're going to get a you know a better relationship between cyclists and cars is as the the, the saying says: "Be the change you want to see in the world. Yeah. Be kind. Agreed. Be considerate of other people. You're not the center of the universe, whether you're on a bike or a car." Agreed. So let's cover this weird human that is a roadie. <sighs> Let's God, to why do them. they dress like idiots? <laughs> why do they so, look so stupid? So what do you, what do you, what what looks bad about them? Why don't they have visors on their helmets for starters? Okay. Uh a couple reasons. First, aerodynamics. Okay. And I know that the guy that's commuting with like drop bars turned upside down, so his like hands are way up in the air and he's yeah. wearing raincoats and okay. everything else. I know that his aerodynamic argument for a lack of visor is moot. Okay. I get that. Okay. But that's why helmets are designed that way. Um, just for not having anything there. And I personally, I, I ride with a visor when appropriate, when the, the context is appropriate on the Like when bike. the sun's out. It's <laughs> good. But no, like when I'm doing enduro stuff or anything like that. Okay. If my rule is if I'm wearing baggies, I wear a helmet with a visor. Okay. If I'm not wearing baggies, I don't wear a helmet with a visor. Okay. Um, but I really don't like visors. Okay. Because I, although I ride with my head down, I ride with my eyes up. Okay. And that's a motocross thing and a person that rides with a straight back. Yeah. Um, I have a more straight back than most people yeah. when I ride. So, um, so that is kind of a thing that we do. And then as a result, I, I get the visor in my way. It is frustrating. So on a road bike, I guess that the only valid argument is aerodynamics. After that, it's purely aesthetics. Okay. It looks faster or anything else like that. Okay, next question. Let's, let's, let's keep going with the head. Head. Actually, yeah. Let's okay. Start there, yeah. Gap between your... <laughs> Why do you have a gaper gap? Why can't you there just close it of off? Them. There are a lot of them. Uh, part of it is the helmet. When you have a visor, you can kind of conceal what's going on up there sometimes. And a lot of helmets now, like I'm thinking of the cask protone, and there's like a lot of different helmets that almost come up in the center. And they have like a weird kind of gap thing going on there. But that's so aerodynamically not good. I agree. I don't know. I guess I'd have to go into a wind tunnel to figure it out. But I think that that problem probably exists on the mountain bike side too. Too many gaper gaps. If you have a gap between your glasses and your helmet, 
Don't embrace the gap. Close the gap. Yes. Just bring the helmet down. Bring it down. Yeah, yeah, bring it down. Uh, the the hats thing, we should cover that. We need to co- discuss the cycling caps. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so do you know why? That, I mean, because cyclists are... Because somebody did it way back in the day at the Tour de France, <laughs> and somebody yeah. thought it was cool, and they all do it now. Yeah, it's definitely kind of a hipster thing, but also it's like a roadie culture thing, too. Okay. There's like even a hashtag, caps not hats, right? Okay. Which is when you go onto the podium and you have to have your, for the pros, they have to have their team sponsors and everything else. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are using like baseball caps and it goes against the tradition of using a cycling cap, which is one of those weird looking like poor fitting beanies with like a tiny little bill that either points down in your face or points straight up. Yes. Right? Oh, we know. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So those, those, I personally am not a fan of cycling caps. They're a little too hipster for my taste. Okay. But uh, the one thing I will say that is good about a cycling cap, two things. Number one, sweat. It's really good for mopping up sweat. Okay. It's nice. So it's a towel? Yeah, but you can't put a towel under your helmet. I guess you could, but (laughs) it'd be kind of tough. So you wear your cycling cap while you're riding. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's really what they're intended for, right? Okay. Now, when you wear them off the bike, it's just making a statement like, I am very roadie. Okay. Right? And then that's fine. They can make that statement, right? Yeah. Um, that's just a fashion statement, but functionally speaking, and, and, and fashion is a, is subjective, but functionally speaking, it takes up a lot of sweat. And also that bill can be super helpful if it's raining. So, um, I've ridden multiple times of that bill and what I'll do is in the rain, I'll have it or I'll have it down. And the only problem with that is a lot of the time they're a little too long. So it blocks your vision, but when it rains, I'll flip it up. Okay. And when I flip it up, it channels the water down to the sides of that bill. Okay. So it doesn't fall on my face. Through your else. helmet. Yeah. That's actually pretty. Okay. It's so actually, functionally, it serves a purpose. It does. When it rains, never in Nevada, except for right now. <laughs> exactly. Because it's so, raining. Yeah. Because I rarely use, uh, so I rarely use <clears throat> caps, but um, I do have one. And I, mine actually is like a Merino wool <clears throat> blend. Okay. So that way it doesn't uh, get cold when it's wet and it also doesn't get so stinky. So. Okay. Yeah. So that's what I use. That's the head. I think the head's kind of covered, right? Okay, so what's the thing about your sunglasses have to be placed in a very specific Uh, position related to your helmet strap? Sunglasses on the outside of your straps. That's so uncomfortable with sunglasses and helmets, though. It is, and I actually don't agree with this one. And if you look, there's a book called, like, Voluminati. The Voluminati, they have the rules. Yeah, and it has the rules, and most of those rules are just dumb. Um, But (laughs) They're fun, though. They're funny, yeah. Yeah. If you want to look at roadie culture, that's a good way to get a snapshot of it. But uh, so the the thing about that is it used to be helmets had the straps that were like right next to your skin. Yeah. And then they would come down. And if you put them over your glasses, it looked weird because you had glasses that like you had your straps and they would have to bow out over yes. your over And your, it pressed your, your glasses into your helmet. Yeah. And also it covered <clears throat> sponsor logos potentially. Okay. Right. Fair. Uh, for pros, for all of us average dudes that uh, ride on some type of a club that has like a team sponsor for glasses, don't worry, nobody cares about the glasses you're wearing. Yeah, your wife probably doesn't even care about your riding or your husband. It's she just, doesn't even know you ride. Exactly. Yeah, she probably zones zones out every time. But the thing is, helmets have changed. Yes. Like for example, I have the cat or the not the cask. I have the pock um, octal on the road. Mm-hmm. And with that one, I can run like uh, pock glasses or Oakley glasses over the outside of my straps. 
Oakleys tend to bow out a lot, yeah. by the way. So it makes it easier. So do you have to put an exhaust stack and tow mirrors on your road bike when you wear your Oakleys? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, the gas cans is what I have. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, they're they're white and they have like a pattern on Change them. Change your wheels out to moto metals. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the, I have uh, that one. But then on the, I have the Tectal <clears throat> with the visor for the mountain yeah. biking side of things. The straps are too far out. Okay. If I were to put my glasses on the outside of that, it would be terrible. Um, <clears throat> there are certain helmet brands that have straps that come out from the outside of your helmet down to your face. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, don't feel bad about wearing your glasses underneath. Fair. It looks more pro just because we're used to seeing the pros use it with their glasses to the outside. Okay. But it's that's kind of a, yeah, that's the thing. Okay. So that's, that's the face. I think the face is taken care of. Why is it when you see a group of roadies out taking up an entire lane yeah going really slow up a climb yeah why do they all wear the same kit and why do they always look stupid (laughs) and why can't they just wear baggies so uh yeah like the rest of us real bikers so baggies on the road is kind of a thing that's making a comeback by the way good uh with like like, with like adventure racing and or um any type of gravel racing or anything else is kind of making a comeback um like a lot of people they kind of make a statement if they're going for like a long ride, especially in Australia, they, um, they'll wear baggies on like the long multi-day tours, like not like a tour to France, I'm saying, but like a long multi-day ride they're doing, not like a race. Like when they go to the grocery store yeah. when they live in the outback. Yeah. Or yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or like if they are just going to the grocery store, it's kind of like the same vibe. They want to communicate the fact like, Hey, I'm not serious right now. I'm just having a good time on my bike. Okay. So roadies are trying to kind of communicate that they're serious and also with the team that they're really serious. Right. But roadies belong to a team because road racing is inherently a team sport. Yeah. And the reason it's, it's two reasons. Number one, Energy is not infinite. It's finite. Number two, aerodynamics, which actually both of them play off of each other. Yeah. But basically, um, when you are riding on a road bike at any speed above 13 miles an hour, especially, uh, drafting has a dramatic, or aerodynamics has a dramatic effect. Very much so. And And thus drafting. Thus drafting. Exactly. So as in a team sport, you basically look at the race and you say, okay, well, if I were just to ride as hard as I could... So that it's an hour long and I did my maximum hour power and I popped, um, I might not win the race because the race will have a lot of other people that will be going harder and then setting back and resting harder, resting, but the pace will be high the whole time. Yeah. Right. Because you have people going hard, then getting to rest in the draft, going hard then getting to rest into the draft. So because of that, they form teams because they want to have a strategy there. And they want to say, well, I want, you You, know, this guy is going to finish the race for us. So let's all take turns pulling and we'll. So you've got a bunch of domestiques. Yep. Giving your, your drafter, your sprinter. Yep. Or a breakaway guy, whatever the guy that's going to win the race, they sacrifice themselves for him. Yeah. And that's, and it's all for the team. So road racing is a team sport and that's really why they form teams. Now they like to get kits that match. They like to do all those things really just because they want to feel fancy if we're honest. So that's really it. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of what they do there. Um, their jerseys too on roadies. I don't know if you've noticed, but they use really long, they're short sleeve jerseys, but they're long. I don't know if you've noticed this. They're a long short sleeve. They use jerseys that are, their sleeves go down almost down to their elbow. Well, more room for sponsor logos. Yeah, because everyone cares, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's actually, you could say aerodynamics because technically the fabrics that are used in most jerseys, it's more aerodynamic than skin. But really, 
It's just a style thing. Yeah. That's really it. Because they all shave anyway. Yeah, exactly. Can we answer that one too? Yeah. Why do roadies shave their legs? It's faster. But why? But really the reason... So there are a couple of reasons that people say when I crash... Uh, it grows back quicker with less complications and I don't have hair hair. That's true. Okay. That's true. Um, but really how often do you crash? You know? So if you're Craig Manning, you crash a lot. <laughs> He's just a kidding. Guy. Craig, we love you. Uh, if, but you know, you don't crash too often. The other one is aerodynamics. True. It is faster. Okay. I think specialized that it was something like 40 seconds or something over 40 kilometers, which doesn't seem like a lot, but when you look at like winning times, uh, you know, first to uh, 10th could be all within 10 seconds. So that's yeah. a big deal. So it does make you faster, sure. But really the reason is because uh, it makes us look stronger. And okay. when you show up to a road race, and XC has this in common, you show up to a race, you kind of like look at everybody's legs, which I know this is getting a little perhaps homoerotic. So if you're uncomfortable, just don't worry about Cue it. Cue the music. Yeah. But you look at everyone's legs and gauge, and you kind of gauge and, and categorize people. You always look around and kind of give the leg test like, ooh, that dude looks like he's super strong. That dude looks like he's super flabby and not strong. And in almost every case, I swear, the leg test is totally not accurate like but you, you still know, do it anyway but you still do it anyway yeah but it makes you it it makes you feel like you're more lean and vascular and fast and everything else that's the honest question we and i personally think it looks better um it feels nice too to have smooth legs so i'm making that's these, what you have a significant other for yeah <laughs> yeah so we're men yeah. we're hairy we're supposed to be that <laughs> so yeah uh it's clear that i'm a leg shaver and steven isn't i think at this point yes um but yeah, that's why they shave. And then arms, same deal. Arms yeah. are slower. Beards, if they're big, are... And you can check out, forgive me, uh, you can check out on specialized websites um, or on their YouTube channel. They have videos where they've tested a bunch of things. But with uh, beards, they uh, tested one that was a pretty, like... <clears throat> and if uh, like Steven's beard, it's kind of yeah, like, look at it guys. Yeah, it's like look mine. at it. Yeah. It's like, it's contoured to the face. It doesn't like stick out. It's no. not some big grizzly Adams thing. <clears throat> no, if it's like that, they actually say it doesn't slow you down much, which is interesting. And aerodynamics, if there's one thing I've learned about it is unpredictable. Yeah. Uh, you, it's, or I should say it's illogical. Well, if you think about aerodynamics, just think about all the little hairs. It creates a little micro turbulence all around it, but then the overall, just goes right past my face. That's why I don't understand the arms and the legs, the legs. because at the same time you're creating an aerodynamic buffer above the hair yeah. anyway. Yeah. Which so, is strange, but, but you know, it's proven, but if it's proven, it's proven. So. And the one thing that I could say about the face is that even though it seems like the face gets a lot of wind, it doesn't The spot where you get you where your beard is actually doesn't get a whole lot of wind. It's more your forehead, nose, brow, and top of the head. Yeah. So unibrows shave those. Yeah, shave that thing right Leave off. Eyebrows are slow. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> we need a license plate or something like yeah. a, a bumper sticker that says eyebrows are slow. Eyebrows are slow. So yeah, that's why they shave, man. <clears throat> okay. uh, that's what they do there. What about their bikes? Can we talk about their bikes? Why yeah. are their bikes as expensive or more expensive as my mountain bike? And they don't even have suspension. <laughs> You're telling me. Unless uh, it's like the new Dogma K8, which actually has suspension. Has suspension. Yeah. So the a couple things, I think, contribute to that. Um, first, the processes that they use in the carbon... Forgive me. Man, I'm tired tonight. The processes that they use in laying up these frames, these frames are lighter in most cases, not like specialized new Epic hardtail. That's the lightest frame they make. 
So it's a mountain bike. Oh, okay. It's lighter than any other road bike they make, which is crazy. Okay. Yeah. Any Any other road bike they make. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yet. Uh, But the one thing that, that I think with these road bikes is they really, you don't have suspension. Yeah. So the layup in that frame, that is your bike's handling and suspension. Yes. So the way the fibers they use, the resin they use, the way they lay it, put it down and lay it together, the direction and everything else. And then the shape of the overall tubes. Yeah. Not saying that on mountain bikes, you're just like, wrap it up, get it done. It's quick. Of course not. It's not. But I think with road bikes, they really have to put in a whole lot more research into the dynamics of the frame and then the process of making sure that layup is perfect. Okay. Because, and so I think that that's, that might contribute to it, but I could be wrong. Okay. Um, I think that's, yeah, that's one thing there. Also bike companies just have to make money and so they charge a lot of money for bikes. And the fact is roadies are willing to pay that. Yeah. You have a lot of wealthy doctors and lawyers that will buy those Pinarillos all day. Yeah. You know? The new F10 is beautiful, by the way. Just admit it. It is a beautiful thing. Okay. And I, I do think Pinarillos are a little weird. I'm not, you know, it's too hot on them, but that bike is attractive. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's why. Uh, a couple weird things that roadies will do. They use long stems. They're inverted. Um, that's really just because, uh, for a couple reasons. Um, first of all, like a low stack height is like sought after. And when yeah. you have like no spacers under the stem, you're rad. Slam like, that stem. You're super cool. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's not necessarily smart. Roadies should have a proper bike fit because you're so static compared to a mountain bike yeah. where you're moving around so much more that your bike fit is very crucial. Right. Okay. Because it's the position you'll be in. So that low stack height as sought after as it is, it's not a good idea. Um, the But they run inverted stems a lot of the time, and the reason that they do that is because they like to get as low as they can over that bike to get some good handling out of it. Uh, they'll run, like, super big drops from their drop, or, like, the height differential between their saddle and their bars. Yes. It looks crazy. When you actually ride a road bike, though, for a while, you get used to things, and it's actually really not that uncomfortable. No, it's not. Not at all. Yeah. Especially riding in the drops all the way down it's is actually, actually pretty comfortable. It really is. Yeah, I used to used own to a road it. bike. Yeah, and I used to ride it. Yeah, so I, that's that's kind of one of some of the weird things. Deep section wheels, they're faster. Yeah, that's that's quantifiably unless there's better. wind. Yeah, and even now crosswind. Even now they're designing these so that they're much more efficient in crosswinds, like um, the new four or five fours from Zip and Zip yeah. uh, Flow Wheels is a company. Yeah. Two twin <clears throat> brothers, the out of Vegas or San Diego now. Chris and John Thornham, those dudes are so smart. We did a whole podcast on wheel aerodynamics, which probably sounds so boring to some of you listening, but it was actually pretty, pretty interesting. It was really interesting. And they talked about how they designed their wheels to like, um, it's going to get nerdy. They're good. They're fast. (laughs) I won't, I won't, they actually do work. Yeah, they actually do work and they utilize crosswinds actually, uh, to their benefit. Uh, it's pretty smart stuff. So, they're going wider like mountain bike rims though, which mm-hmm. is pretty interesting. So that's something else they do. Most of them have power meters. And like I've said before, us mountain bikers should have power meters too. We should. It's just the best way to train. It's the best way to quantify your effort. Uh, some other weird things on their bikes. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, rim brakes. Any roadies love rim brakes and it's cause they're drunk. All of them. So yeah, cause they don't like to stop. Yeah. Yeah. So disc brakes are better. 
and they're worried about losing their fingers, and that's ridiculous because they've got a whole cassette chain and chain rings that are just, and spokes and, and, and spokes everything and everything else. Yeah. But heaven forbid the rotors. Um, so uh, yeah, you've got uh, and yeah, we don't send us that picture of that guy that fell and said that he got torn up by a rotor because it actually was proven that he didn't get torn up by a rotor. So I actually don't even know what you're talking about right it's now. It's what caused the UCI to ban disc brakes last year and oh. to halt the whole process. Process, but they're coming back. Okay. Um, <clears throat> They'll all love disc brakes soon enough. Uh, And one thing kind of about the culture of road racing is that you have to understand is it's old fashioned. Very old fashioned. Very. It has its roots in in Europe and in Belgium, especially a lot of it. Uh, Belgians are incredible cyclists. Uh, Cyclocross is like their national sport. Uh, It's like football here for us. But way better than football. Yeah, I agree. It'd be sweet if that was our national sport. Maybe not cyclocross, but yeah. we can give that to them. Yeah, the Belgians, cool. they can have it. But they have a lot of like old logic. And there's actually a saying in uh, cycling called Belgic, which yep. is Belgian logic. And it's responsible for many a fallacy. So basically, like uh, one of them, for example, don't shave the night before a race because the energy that is required for your body to poke the hair through the skin could sap energy that you would otherwise put into the pedals. This is not science. This is false. There are a lot of other things like tubulars are better than clinchers. That is not science. That is tradition. And that is false. Like clincher tires it's very false. are better now. Yeah. They're made, they're faster. They're everything else is better. Right. Yeah. Schwinn um, S seven clinchers from, you know, 1974. Yeah. Yeah. Not as good of, as different tubulars. deal. Yeah. Different deal. Um, so many different things. Um, roadies use something called embrocation. Um, God bless you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which is uh cream usually, or like an oil that you put on your, uh, your exposed skin when you're riding, if it's cold and it's got capsaicin in it. So like big red gum or any type of chili, it's got like a, it's, it's hot and okay. you put it on there and it basically makes your skin feel warm and it gives you that impression that you're feeling warm, even though you're probably not warm at all. Right. Okay. So that's, um, embrocation <clears throat> is a common thing. It smells good. It also makes the cyclist legs look more tan and oily. So there you go. Another thing of the leg obsession thing going on there. So, but I do like embrocation. It's awesome if it's cold and the oily kind, if it's wet is great too. Cause it kind of creates a barrier between the water and your skin and it does keep you a little warmer, Okay, which is really nice. They use arm warmers, knee warmers or leg warmers. And there are certain rules on that arm warmers. Um, and well, first of all, that there's like Belgic says like warmers aren't for races. Like only men race, you know, or men race without warmers on. And yeah. that's silly. You can race with warmers on. Um, but uh, a lot of like cyclists, they won't use leg warmers unless they're training. It's kind of like a thing. I don't know. I don't get it. Um, they use vests instead of like jackets usually. Um, and the wind, and they're just like wind vests. But the reason they're doing that is because you, even though you might be freezing, like your arms, you're generating so much heat, yeah. you know? So, um, yeah. And that's kind of, uh, it's kind of the thing. They, they love to stop for coffee all the time, all the time, which I'm fine with. I like that's coffee okay. too. Yeah. And that's okay. So with that, I think what we can take from this entire conversation is yes, they look stupid, <laughs> but there's a reason behind it yeah. and they do it on purpose. And next week we're going to talk all about you mountain bikers and we're going to do a guide for roadies to mountain bikers because guess what we're just as weird as the roadies yeah we have our weird quirks and persnickety nature that that is just as strange totally so with that steven let's go into our tips 
Let's do the tips. You don't care they're counting on your tips to live? Sheesh. <laughs> All right. Mine. Uh, let's go with, uh, speaking of warmers, Rafa, which let's discuss, I should discuss. Rafa That's part too. of the roadie culture. Part of the roadie culture. Yeah. Rafa Merino wool warmers. These things are freaking awesome. So Rafa is a brand that is um, much uh, maligned by many. They, they, they find it to be pretentious. Uh, they find it to be kind of uppity and, and just a brand that like is kind of ridiculous. But right? they're actually just really cool dudes. They are. And chicks. Awesome company all yeah. around. Uh, <clears throat> they make good stuff. It's yeah. honestly, uh, uh, being 100% frank, they do not make my favorite pair of bibs. They do not make my favorite pair of jersey. I don't think, or favorite jersey. I don't think they make the best stuff in some respects. But just like when you get, a jacket that's like, let's just say you get like a snowboarding jacket or no, let's, I scratch that. A members only jacket. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Actually <laughs> let's go to, let's go to like mountain biking and you get some shorts, right? Yeah. And you can get some like crappy shorts from a sports department store. Yeah. And they have a chamois and they have like, they check off all the boxes, but they're not quite the same. And then you get like a high end set of shorts, like a, from a really nice brand. Like you go to Pock or you go to Mavic or you go to like somebody like that, that yeah. actually like makes like really good stuff. And it's really, it is like a step above. Yeah. Rafa is with a lot of other companies being a step above, but they go one step further by adding very understated, but um, very pronounced fashion to it. Okay. So it is a fashion brand okay. in many respects and their stuff is beautiful. I think their okay. brand is great. Everything else. I'll, and I bet you, if you went, Rafa has these places called cycle clubs. You should go to them. Yeah. They're in like big cities like Chicago, Los Angeles is getting one now. New York has one. Miami has a pop-up store. Right San, now. Francisco San Francisco has Francisco. one. Um, I was just there this weekend. Yeah. I coolest dudes. So if you walk in gals, you walk into there, awesome people. It's a really cool, uh, company. I think it's just awesome. And it's good to have because they kind of push the, the bar up. They make these Merino wool warmers for your arms, knees, or legs. And they also make a cap for that too. And they make jerseys in this material. It is so good. You don't get sweaty. If anybody's tried to use arm warmers before and you, you're constantly going getting sweaty and then you're dry yeah. and cold or you know wet and cold and it's annoying, these things don't get sweaty. And then the best part is if they do get wet, they, they aren't cold and clammy. They yeah. don't because it's merino wool. Yeah. And they're like really well made. They don't stretch out like a bunch of wool stuff. They're just, I love those things. So cool. mountain biking, uh, road riding, whatever it is, I use those things if it's you know, 65 degrees or below or 60 degrees or below. Forgive me. I generally have a set of warmers on cause I'm a cold blooded person. So, okay. Yeah. That's my, that's my, my tip. I love those things. You should check them out. On my next build. I usually build my bikes to be completely over. Yes. So I've always run like race faces, six C cranks. Yep. And never had a single problem with them. Yeah. In fact, at Downeyville one day, um, I put a quarter inch deep gash all the way across the non-drive <laughs> side of my 60 crank fine? and it never, That's never made amazing. a noise, moved nothing. It was still in perfect working That's order. Amazing. Yeah. So on this next build, one of the things I haven't really shared is that in the climbing mode of the bike where I have the air shock on the rear and lighter tires, not necessarily lighter tires, should I say? Yeah. 
but in the light form of it before I put the DHX two rear shock on it, I want to be under 27 pounds on this bike. It's pretty darn like, light. Like trying to get to 26 and a half That's on light, an man. SB 5.5. And so I decided that I was going to give the new next SL G four cranks, which what's different try. with the G four. Uh, the G four is a new design of how the pedal interface. Okay. F- interfaces to the carbon and it's a stronger connection as far as how the mold is laid up and how things, you know, how that aluminum insert is put into the, into the crank arm. Nice. Um, so these things weigh with a 32 tooth direct mount chain ring, they weigh 430 grams. My goodness. That's so less than a pound, less than a pound. And <laughs> they are supposed to not have any weight limits. Like some of the upper end carbon cranks are like yeah. the new XX one Eagles. They actually don't recommend that riders over 200 pounds use those. Wow. Um, that's, they're not going to say this is our weight limit, but they definitely don't like heavier riders on those cranks. Yeah. But, um, so I'm going to give those things a shot. I'm pretty excited about them. Nice. Man. But, and there's the one thing I do love that race face did, um, on their next SLs and their six C's is they don't have, different Q factors for a boost chain line versus a non-boost chain line. Mm. So it simplified their, their process so just and a, made it so just a spindle. It's no, everything is the same mm. and their standard is boost compatible. Okay. So it's just wider. Yeah. So it's just wider. It sets the chain line correct and everything like that. So it's nice. just, you know, so it's actually pretty cool. Um, and then they also have, you know, every bottom bracket interface you can imagine, but any BB30 type bottom bracket will work with this. And so we, if you want to use like a Praxis or wheels or Chris King or whatever. Yeah. We just got those for Sarah's build, right? Yeah. So yeah. Pretty sweet. Yeah. Good so stuff. her four or five is going to be pretty baller. Yeah, it will. Yeah. Well, that's it for us this week. Uh, thanks for joining us. It's exciting now that we have racing going on. We'll actually have something to talk about. Yes. So we'll be reviewing the Andy Pacifico next week. Uh, we'll also be talking about once again, that roadies guide to understanding mountain biking. If you have any tips or things that you want to share at that or for that one, please let us know, go to mtbpodcast.com, submit your questions or comments there, uh, go to iTunes or wherever else you're listening to this app right now and rate it and positively, hopefully, and share it with other people. Share it a lot. Yes, that would help. And, uh, we'll keep growing this thing. Thanks everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Have a lovely evening. guys jonathan here just wanted to thank you again for listening and let you know that if you like the song that you're hearing now and the one that you heard in the intro it comes from wave riders entertainment my good friend tommy walter check it out if you're looking for more beats like this or some awesome tracks to listen to we'll talk to you next week